The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan, and today we are at the Sunstroke House in Columbus, Mississippi. My guest is Sylvia Rose Novak. And so while we were preparing for the introduction for the show... We found an old acoustic guitar upstairs, and well, it wasn't how to tune. We found another one, and the G-string broke while tuning. So Sylvia was kind enough to send me some tracks so we could share some music. And so here's a song called Little Sister. And after that, we'll jump immediately into the conversation. You're coming in about as clear as a midnight show. Take far too much to try. 
Texas through Louisiana. Great. And so just music for you. When did that start? How, what did that look like? Was it mom and dad's records or how did you get introduced to music? Um, my parents are both very musical people. Like they're very into different types of music. My mom and dad both always sang. Always like not professionally, just around the house constantly. In the car or whatever. Yeah, all the time. And um, I guess I wanted to learn to play an instrument when I was a kid, like really little. I'd take my mom's like acoustic guitar and just mess with it. But my parents were really adamant that if I wanted to learn to play anything, I had to learn to play piano first. Okay. Which was good. Were you classically trained? Yes. Okay. I don't play anymore. I have a three-quarter upright in my house, but um, you know, it's one of those things as a kid, you know, you're forced to do it mm -hmm. to get to the thing you want to do. So I will sit down and mess with it sometimes, and I remember how to play, but it's not my, it's not my passion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so just talking about growing, where are you from? Opelika, Alabama. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah right <laughs> down the road. Birmingham, pretty much. Yes. About, now we're in 45 minutes south. Yeah. Okay. And just moving from there, after piano, where'd you go? Guitar? No. Uh, well, kind of. I learned a little bit of acoustic guitar, but I wanted to learn to play bass. That was, I was like 11 years old, maybe 12, and I told my dad I didn't want to play piano anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had joined the middle school band on trombone, and I was reading bass clef, and I just wanted to learn to play the bass guitar. Mm -hmm. So my dad was great, supportive, and he was like, okay, but if you want to learn to play bass, you're really going to learn to play. So I started taking uh, jazz and theory lessons on the bass. So I'm actually a jazz-trained bass player. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it was interesting, like, tonight, just seeing some of the things I've seen on YouTube. I, it's probably four or five videos. I, you were playing a violin with Arkansas, and um, most everything else was a guitar. I had no idea you were a bassist. Yeah, I became my own bassist after uh, I <laughs> am really picky about bass players, obviously, because I am one, and then I finally just went, you know what? Nobody's going to play my bass lines better than me, and not to be, like, snotty about it, but they're mine. I wrote them. Yeah. So it made sense. Okay, let's talk about the songwriting then. So, like, um, with your songwriting, how does how does that begin? Does it begin with a, a bass riff or words, uh, or how does that start? Is it different with each song? It's not really. Um, I write the bass lines after I write the songs, pretty much. Um, I write on an acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. but I am one of those people who will have, like, a line. Um, the song I was going to play before the... The string snapped. Yeah. Um, the one I mentioned started with the line, they call it fate, they call it fate, but it's not. And that just like sat in my brain for a couple days. And then within yeah. about 15 minutes, I sat down and wrote the entire song. Um, I, I write, write music and lyrics all at once, generally. Yeah. And that's my standard process. I'm not a big editor. Um, if it doesn't all happen, it's not going to happen for me. That's just my method. Yeah, sure. But I think the song writes itself in my brain for a couple of days and then comes out. And yeah. I'm just kind of 
going about my life. Yeah. To give a little background, we tried two guitars, and one just would not hold tune, and we found an old Alvarez, and while tuning it, the string snapped. And so, wasn't meant to be. <laughs> but uh, with that line, um, and for the rest of that song, where does that go? What was the song about? Well, I was in Nashville, um, and by myself, kind of doing some industry stuff, you know, like the handshaking, housekeeping, hobnobbing, elbow rubbing stuff that everybody has to do Mm -hmm. or should do. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you're a musician and you don't go make connections and shake hands, you should, you should. (laughs) And I took myself to dinner, went and got a burger and a couple beers. And I walked out in East Nashville and there was a homeless woman selling newspapers. And a lot of the time I will just like, I, I don't ignore homeless people. I can't like, I have Mm -hmm. a very bleeding heart. Um, so I had some cash in my wallet, and I walked over and I gave it to her, mm-hmm. and she started talking to me, just like she wanted somebody to talk to, and she was totally, I mean, sober, coherent, like, and I stood and listened to her, mm-hmm. and her life story, like, the way the way that she ended up homeless, um, basically was that her husband's mother was a cop, and she was a narc that she was a dirty cop. So she was selling, she was dealing. Mm -hmm. And this woman's husband took the fall for his mother so that she wouldn't go to federal prison because she was a, you know, a narc who was, who'd become a dealer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, him getting incarcerated basically derailed their whole lives. Yeah. And that's what the song was about. Cool. (laughs) And so what's the name of the song? It's called Dirty. Dirty. And it'll be on my fourth record. Great. And so let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, Opelika, born and raised? Yes. So when did you go up to Nashville? I don't live there. I just uh, go there sometimes to make connections. And actually, fun fact, a yoga teacher and the yoga studio that uh, sponsored my training is in Nashville. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Yoga. I I done that. I hurt my back. And uh, they was wanting to do, like, the shots surgery and I was like no I'll do physical therapy and then like the physical therapist was like a yoga enthusiast and um, learned a couple positions that would help my back in proper form yeah how to sit and uh, healed it I came to yoga because playing I was playing uh, fiddle and violin with uh, Mm -hmm. some other bands like touring around before I started really doing my own thing and it was wrecking my shoulders and my neck like totally just destroying my back and I was like I gotta do something <laughs> mm-hmm. and that was it yeah found yoga that's uh with the homeless person uh my favorite band out of Memphis it's called Star and Mycy and uh Josh Cosby he's one of the singers there's two he's the tenor and how the band name was formed it's crazy you have a story like that is um one day he got home he was grabbing his guitar out of the back of the trunk and a homeless person approached him hey and you know he was just rushing on in to get into the apartment and the guy just walked right up behind him, and he was at the door. And, uh, you know, Josh just kind of freaked out. And he said, what's, what's going on? He said, man, you got anything you can spare? He said, I don't have any money, but I'll play you a song. <laughs> and they sat out there, and he played him a song. And after that, he shared, you know, I'm Star, and um, my homeless girlfriend, her name's Micey. And after, um, that's the street name, you know. And after sitting and exchanging stories that became the band name and so it's crazy how you know uh, those stories 
um, they lead to band names and they lead to really good songs. And so as you were learning fiddle, about what age were you? Before? 23. I taught, my, I taught myself. I got bored and decided I wanted to learn to play. I took a couple lessons and was, <laughs> was playing live within eight months of picking it up. Oh, wow. I've done that. I play a lot of instruments. I'm, like, very multi-instrumental, so I wasn't, like, a fiddle prodigy or anything. I just, like... Picked like, it and run with it? Yeah, I, like, I've uh, I played pedal steel. I've played banjo. Um, the only thing I'm not very good at is electric guitar. Okay. Mandolin, fiddle, oh, bass, nice. upright bass, trombone, trumpet, clarinet. I'm taking drum lessons right now. <laughs> yeah, that's something I always want to learn. I, like I, my feet and my hands, I just, I cannot get that straight. It's tough. Limb independence is really hard. <laughs> it makes me feel really dumb a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so I think them drummers, man, they're, some, they're their own breed. Don't say that loudly. He'll hear you. Blake will hear you. My drummer will. Big <laughs> Blow head. up. Yeah, get a big head about it. I need to keep him humble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so uh, with the first album, uh, when did that come out? 2014. 2014. And so what did that look like? Was it just you solo? or? I uh, wrote my first song in the winter of 2012 and decided that I wanted to make a record. Like, I so I, I wrote the songs and I produced it, the whole thing, full like full band, like kind of cobbled together. But like, I composed the bass lines and had another bassist play them because I was, you know, I don't know, unconfident of my like I had never been in a studio before, mm-hmm. and um, except for playing fiddle on other people's stuff, and then I had a drummer come in, and. Um, I played the, the guitar parts, most of them, mm-hmm. um, except for the lead, and then had a and played the fiddle parts and um, yeah, just like composed and arranged and produced an entire record, like without knowing exactly what I was doing. But it turned out great. Where was this done at? Uh, it was done in Auburn, Alabama, at, like in the back room of a guitar store. My friend, a good friend of mine. He's also a great bass player. Is a good. He's an engineer. He's a great engineer, and he has this giant 1970s Trident console. Yeah. And yeah, we just did it there. Cool. And so the guys that were coming in to like play drums and play bass were those just hired guns, or were those friends of the guy who had the place? Friends of mine okay. and friends of his, and just whoever we knew. Okay. And so after making that one, what did that look like? Were you uh, working a part-time job or full-time job at the time? I was training horses. I'm a horse trainer. <laughs> Um, You're all over the place. I, yeah, I don't like to sit still. But I just ride for fun now. I rarely train anymore. But yeah, I was training horses. Um, had my own little farm and would trained problem horses. Not like performance or anything. Just like green breaking, bucking issues, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm teaching riding lessons. And uh, that's what I was doing. And so after the album, was there putting together a tour? Or what, what was all that about? Not really. Um... I just kind of didn't know what to do with it. Like, I didn't put any press on it. It got some press, which was great. And I played some original shows and, like, did some stuff with it. But I was still mostly making money off of music by playing fiddle with other people. Mm-hmm. Like, that was still kind of what I, just what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was easy, and I didn't, like, I didn't know any better. But in the meantime, I was working on my second album, which came out in 2016. And just, you know, not to do anything with either, just to make it. Same thing, full band, produced it. Same um, place. Same place. And then the third album came out last year in 2018, 
And that one I did actually like work. That was the one that kind of started to do stuff for me. Yeah. But I recorded that one at Ola Elegante in Birmingham with Lester Newby. And um, yeah, it was great. I had a blast. It got good press and I hope that this fourth record, which is the one I've always wanted to make, you know, it's like funny, it's like four records and finally get into the one. Yeah, it's like, but it's only, if I think about it, you know, you tell people four albums and they go, wow, that's a long time. And I'm like, first one came out in 2014. Like my fourth record will come out not even six years after the first one. Mm -hmm. So not really. Yeah. But this is the one I wanted to make. And it was a big learning curve. And like a lot of people don't just like plunge in. And I figured out why, but I'm glad I did it. I mean, can't go back and there's no one right way. Yeah. And so, like, to now, to going back to that first album, and, like, with a show like tonight here at the Sunstroke, um, are we going to be looking at songs from the third and fourth album, or is it going to be a compilation? Or Third and fourth, definitely. Um, definitely. I've grown up as a songwriter, and I'm not ashamed of anything. I'm actually very proud of the songs on my first and second album. Like, they're, I don't look at any of those and, you know, like, put my hand to my forehead. I'm not embarrassed. I've still sell copies of my first and second yeah. record but what uh what, what was some of the songs about was it like uh um in, uh, inter- introspective or not really i hate writing about myself <laughs> like writing stories okay um i will hide my feelings and my personal experiences in songs about other people so like my first record i had one pretty the lead off track was pretty personal i was in a weird relationship mm-hmm. uh really a couple like a couple of weird relationships it was just strange but and um i was very jaded and like had been burned really badly and um i wrote a song about how much i hated driving highway 280 basically because that was the road between me and this person i wrote the song about and every time i had to drive that stupid highway think about him or it's just a really awful highway to drive, and I'd cuss <laughs> because I was like, why am I doing this? But and some of the songs are just stories. Like, I wrote a song about uh, meeting the devil in Texas and dancing with him mm-hmm. on a dirt road. And there's a song about stalking and murder that actually was inspired by an episode of the Squidbillies. I mean, like... <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, and then I have a, friend, a song about my friend's divorce and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And so it's like Martian on, is it still the same take? It's still stories and still not so introspective? I wrote a couple of songs on my most recent, on this fourth album. Like one of them is called Dry. And I've become like very candid about speaking up about like mental health issues and like advocating for the conversation around mental health because I, like I've said it before, uh, I'm like diagnosed type 2 bipolar. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very open about it because like if, you know, I want other people who maybe think it's like embarrassing or something to not feel like the last thing you need to add to mental illness is like embarrassment or stigma surrounding it like that's just the most dangerous thing mm-hmm. yeah, sure. so that's a song about um dry is a song about my my bipolar disorder basically and what it like what it means not like what it means to me but it's a very aggressive song it's very pointed and it's very pointed at myself and some of the self-destructive behaviors that I use to self, self-medicate. self Like, maybe there are some nights where I drink more than I should. Yeah. Or something like that. And it's a conversation with myself about um, 
learning to quell those habits before they become a problem. Absolutely. Because I want nothing more in this world than to be successful as a musician, like to really like to ride the lightning, you know, to, you know, oh, yeah. ACDC and <laughs> to pull that line from him. But I just, you know, it's kind of like, can I get there? Can I do what I want if I keep making mistakes, if I keep self-destructing? So sure. that's, that's kind of the only one of those on the record, but... I'd like to uh, chase that rabbit for a minute. As far as uh, the diagnosis and figuring out you had it, how did that go? Oh, I was lucky. I was a teenager, and it runs in my family. So my mom recognized uh, behavior, behavior, and she dragged me kicking and screaming, literally, to a psychologist for a diagnosis, and then took me to a psychiatrist. And um, they medicated me. It worked for a little bit. Stopped. Couldn't quite find anything that worked. And it, even a lot of medication made it worse. So um, it's been years of admitting that I do have a mental illness. Because a lot of the time it's just like, why am I acting this way and why do I feel this way? And I finally kind of sat down with myself and went, You got it. Your brain chemistry is different. Mm-hmm. Actually being able to admit that to myself and like be in like cognitive behavioral therapy and like, it's allowed me to, it's, to kind of not like heal because you don't ever get over it, but I've been a lot more gentle on myself mm-hmm. um, since I finally was just like, look, brain, it's okay. Yeah, chill out. Yeah. I, and I guess just for those listening, I mean, I like to highlight on this as, uh, as much as you're willing to go. I mean, maybe just for those who have no idea that might be dealing with it. I mean, what are some of the um, symptoms or um, things you could look for as far as like this This could be something? This Yeah, this could be um, a lot of people think that bipolar disorder is like rapid mood swings, but it's I not. A lot of people compare it to depression. Um, not the type that I have. Okay. And that is the interesting thing. A lot of people who have bipolar disorder do tend to be mostly depressed. Um, but they'll cycle in and out of it, um, to like a little bit of like hypomania. It's like elated moods. It's rare. Most people don't do that. You know, we talked about the fact that I do everything. Like, yeah. I play all these instruments, mm-hmm. and I train horses. and Just keep the mind. I tend manic. My bipolar type is, like, I don't, like, don't sleep, forget to eat, racing thoughts, uh, obsessive tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, just, like, motor mouth. You can tell I'm good at talking. <laughs> like, um, And it's actually been a gift as far as, like, this like being a musician like meeting people I never don't have something to say Mm -hmm. sure but it's part of it um and then I stay kind of here like you know people can't see me but like my hands up above my head so like at 11 Mm -hmm. down down and it can get (laughs) dangerous because that can also turn into um like mild like auditory and visual hallucinations It, it I've had to learn like okay this isn't real, it's okay. And then sometimes, very rarely, I do swing depressive, but I still have the manic tendencies. So the manic depressive episodes are actually the most dangerous. Are you familiar with the bipolar rock and roller? Mm-mm. Okay, so he is um, one of the announcers for NXT. It's a wrestling. Hmm. And I don't like wrestling. But if he's calling it, I'll watch it. But he has um, manic bipolar. Hmm. He's that. And there's a documentary 
documentary of, on Netflix of him, like, living with it. And, like, just him in his home with his friends and, like, just the swings as he's going through. It's interesting. I run. It helps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, it shows him, like, by himself, like, him just doing home recordings. It's almost like an autobiography documentary, but, like, him just going through. And it'll be, like, him just going through lines for, you know, whatever show he's about to do. And um, he'll probably go down as probably one of the greatest announcers <laughs> That's done wrestling. I mean, he's electric. Huh. And uh, I'll have to watch that. Yeah, check it out. I, yeah. I think it speaks a lot for mental health and, like, people being aware of, like, bipolar. Yeah, sometimes the people you think are just, like, super energetic, motivated, and friendly, like, yeah, we we are. Come off that way. Yeah, I like people. I love people. Um, but something's different about my brain chemistry, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to dig off into your songwriting again, what um, what's your favorite song that you've written that you just love to play that just never gets you, you never get tired of? Have you got one of them? Uh, I write so many songs that they change. Yeah, it but, like right now, for this record, um, it is probably well because it's the most recent song I wrote. It's probably "Dirty," the song about that I was gonna yeah. do. But I have a few. I mean, like I'm just so excited about this album in general. Yeah. That, like, I'm like, I love this song, and this song, and this song, yeah. but yeah. Cool. All right, was well, anything else you wanted to do with Bipolar? Uh, I mean, no. I, I, I will say that I do, on my website, sylviarosenovak.com, have, like, a mental health link where anybody, anybody at all, can send me a contact form. It goes directly to my inbox mm-hmm. if they just want to talk or, like, have questions or need to reach out because I've lost a few friends to suicide. And I feel like sometimes there's just a moment where people don't feel like they can talk. Yeah. At all. They're just like, I don't have anybody to reach out to and I don't want to call a suicide hotline. Um, I wanted to make sure that I at least did something to give people an outlet. An outlet. Like, you can talk to me. I'm not going to diagnose you because I'm not a psychologist, but like, I will listen. Mm-hmm. I will read your email and I will respond. Yeah, man, it's uh, uh, the day that we live in, man. It feels, um, a lot of times it feels like there's nothing but judgment coming from other people, uh, even if it's a family member, and it may be, but, I mean, it's, it's good to get it off your chest, well, for sure. I'm not here to judge, just to listen. So yeah. anybody listening needs to talk. Anything. If had a bad day, need to write it in an email, hit send, and forget about it, you can go to my website and click the mental health link, and I will I'll get it. Cool. Yeah. There you go, folks. All right, and um, I don't know, just... Over the years, um, just from Nashville and bouncing around touring, what are some of uh, some of the best experiences you've had? Some of the moments that you you'll never forget. It's like the the high line. If you can muster some of them up, I have had a few really good ones. I'll t- I'll start with my most recent one, but I won't say names for the story. I was uh, hanging out with a band, and we were bouncing around, just bars, parties, whatever, mm-hmm. and they were nice enough to let me tag along. And we ended up at a party that was hosted by, like, a very, like, currently famous, like, songwriter. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I had been drinking. I mean, we were safe. Been Ubering and walking. Mm -hmm. But I was in no shape to actually meet anybody of any, like, caliber. And he saw me. I don't know him. I didn't know the guy. 
And I saw him and this man walks up to me, gets about four inches from my face and stares me dead in the eyes for, I swear, at least two full minutes. I'm trying to look in your soul or something? I, yeah, he did. He stared into my soul. And I, <laughs> because I'm me, like just, I didn't blink. I just stared right back. I was yeah. just, and I didn't say anything. So we just stared at one another for like two straight minutes. And then he walked away. Didn't <laughs> say I'm, nothing. And didn't say a word. I'm so short that he was like, like crouching. And just staring, and then he, like, walked away. And I was, like, looking around, like, did, pe- did, did anybody see? And now I just, like, I think about that. I'm, like, so-and-so, like, stared into my soul. And I hope I never run into him again. <laughs> I do. This, you know, I've made it very clear, like, with the booking. I'm, like, you do not, put, like, pitch me to open for this man. He's ter- he terrifies me. Yeah. He knows. He knows me now so- somehow. But... Another good one was I uh, was playing fiddle in a band that was opening for Merle Haggard. Oh, cool. Unbelievable. I got to meet Merle Haggard, right? Like, that was... And and he shook my hand. Unbelievable. Like, I still can't believe it. But the best part was there was one green room for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I wandered in looking for a bathroom and found one. And when I walked out of the bathroom, Jeff Cook from Alabama... Yeah, I know Jeff. ...was standing... At the buffet table, eating chicken fingers, and he blinked at me and went, that's Merle's bathroom. And the only thing I could think to respond with was, that explains why there's no toilet paper in there. And we talked for a minute, and he went, who's your favorite fiddle player? And I said, Bob Wills. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God, Jeff Cook's a fiddle player. (laughs) You know, like, but he was funny. So Dwight Yoakam's fiddle player was there, too. It was... Man, unbelievable. Where was this at? It was in um, Rainbow City, Alabama. Okay. Right, of course. That makes sense. Middle of nowhere. Yeah. And they sit down on a couch, and they're like, we got a good Bob Will story. And I was like, do you? So I basically sit down at the feet of Jeff Cook and Dwight Yoakam's fiddle player and, like, look at them like a child who's being told a story. And the story is amazing. Um, basically, I'll make it short. Bob Wills was on stage and he was drunk. Shocker, like that. And right. so, you know, he had a couple of his like second, third fiddlers like propping him up, and he kept leaning over his shoulder and yelling, "Socks, socks, socks!" And they were like, "Bob Wills thinks this sucks." They thought he was like, "Socks, this sucks." Yeah, he was saying socks. He was saying socks. They got him back, and they were like, I don't know what we're doing wrong, but they got him back to his dressing room. He kicks off his boots, and his socks have come undone in his boots. Like, they've balled up in the toe. But this band is freaking out because they're like, we're all about to get fired. Like, Bob Wills is screaming that we suck. Yeah. But it's Texas, so it all sounds the same. And I I just loved that story. I tell it better after I've had some Jameson. (laughs) And after about ten minutes. (laughs) A lot of lead up. But, yeah. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. You know, very fortunate to have met Merle Haggard and like got to spend time talking to two really killer fiddle players Absolutely. Like, um, I grew up listening to Alabama you yeah. know, I love those guys that was a great... if you don't play in Texas you gotta have a fiddle right that's one of their lines that's a great moment for me <laughs> but yeah and also this other like you know, like one day one day he will be so famous that I can tell the story and include his name or he'll become obscure and I will be able to include his name I'll tell you who it is when we stop recording but okay. yeah that too that's my most recent like did that just happen yeah <laughs> it did <laughs> Let's go here for a second. As far as influence um, for um, your songwriting and just who you enjoy listening to while you're making these road trips, who are some of your favorite artists? I, um, this is like so like hipster, but I love 
old Jason Espel. L- like, adore. Like, I've got uh, the Here We Rest album cover tattooed on my back. Okay. Yeah. Um, he is one of the most... He was so tremendously underrated when he was first starting into his solo stuff. Yeah, right after Drive-By. His turn of phrase and, like, the... Just the way that he... I don't know. It was, like, effortless and unpretentious, but also really brilliant. He's just a tremendously... Is a tremendously brilliant writer. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But not... It's not contrived. And I love... I'm so influenced and inspired by him, even though... I've gone back to, like, listening to, like, the pop-punk bands I loved in high school, basically. Who were some of those guys? Oh, I loved, like, Jimmy Eat World, Brand New, Taking Back Sunday. Uh, listen to Brand New Today. Paramore. <laughs> yeah, love, love it. Um, that's, like, my thing. But as far as songwriting, and actually, Jim Adkins from Jimmy Eat World, great songwriter. He is. Really, tremendously talented, but... And that's why this fourth album of mine is more rock and roll oriented because I used to think there was like this disconnect. Like if you were a songwriter, you didn't play rock and roll. But I love rock music. Like my favorite band is Pearl Jam. Okay. Favorite band of all time. Eddie Vedder? Yeah. I love Eddie Vedder and I love uh, Jeff Ament, the bass player for Pearl Jam, is one of my biggest influences as a bassist. Okay. And um, I was just like, you know what? They're not mutually exclusive. There are rock bands with amazing lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so Jason Isbell definitely for songwriting. Um, you know, and I, I like rock bands. I like pop punk. I like a lot of stuff. But I also love Leonard Cohen. Okay. Like, I was devastated when he died. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of, I'm all over the place, but... Um, yeah. Alright, just for those listening is uh, we'll get ready to walk this thing on out the door. Um, ways to connect with you, social media, ways to get your music, way to hear you, um, just to... If you look up Sylvia Rose Novak um, on Google or Facebook or Instagram or Spotify, iTunes, mm-hmm. please buy my music. Spotify doesn't pay me anything. My distributor gets it all, all the pennies <laughs> that Spotify pays musicians. Yeah. But yeah, you look me up, I'm there. I'm actually very friendly too, so you know, you don't, you don't have to watch from afar. You can reach out and say, hey, I like your stuff, and I'll probably say thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Well, great. Anything else you want to add before we go? Oh, no, I could talk for a year. <laughs> so. Well, great. Sylvia, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. News and notes. Thank you so much for listening to Porch Talk. I'd ask if you hadn't done so already, if you would rate and review the show on whatever platform it is that you listen to it on. Subscribe, leave a comment, uh, follow us on social media. That's a great way to keep up with what we got going on with uh, some of the videos of uh, episodes going by. Jamie, thank you so much for setting us up. The show that night was great. If you have not seen Sylvia Rose Novak, I would recommend going to her website or following her on social media so you can figure out when she's going to be near you and go catch that show. You won't regret it. And go to her website, sylviarosenovac.com, and get a T-shirt or a uh, get you an album. Uh, support your artist. That's going to do it. We're going to walk this thing right out the door. Uh, this is a song called Bad Luck.
to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.